Have you ever had a dinner invitation that you wish you could turn down? You were asked by that obnoxious relative or person at work that you just can't stand. There was no way that you could refuse, because maybe you'd put them off several times before, and you were finally out of excuses. You had to go, and you knew it was going to be uncomfortable. The kids acted out the story of Jesus getting invited to dinner by Simon, a Pharisee, one of those straight-arrow religious guys who thought he had it all together. I want to look at that, uh, that story together. So get out your Bibles if you brought them along. If you didn't, grab one of the ones that's in the pew rack underneath or in front of you. Should be on page about 1604. Luke 7. Sixteen oh four. Some of them may be in sixteen oh six. Now, to understand this story, you really have to understand that Jesus did not see eye to eye with the Pharisees. He often went out of his way to stir up conflict with them. He healed people right in front of them on the Sabbath when you weren't supposed to do any work. He criticized how they followed the law of Moses. We're very proud about how they followed the law to the letter and yet neglected to help those in need, even their own family members. Jesus tended to hang out more with tax collectors and sinners, the people out on the edges, the people that nobody wanted to have anything to do with. But when this Pharisee invited him to dinner, Jesus didn't turn him down. He went and reclined at the table. Simon got out all the fine linen and china. Wonderful food was brought out. The conversation started to flow. But then an uninvited guest showed up. This woman who had lived a sinful life stood down by Jesus' feet and wept. She didn't say a word. We don't even know her name. She just poured out tears of joy, thankfulness, and love. They cascaded down and drenched Jesus' feet. And all of a sudden, she let down her hair, knelt at his feet, and dried them with her hair. And then she got out an alabaster jar. Then she started kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume from an alabaster jar that she had brought along. It was all very risque and scandalous. It wasn't the sort of thing that you do at a dinner party or in public. People around the table were feeling really uncomfortable. When you think about it, it was really strange that she washed Jesus' feet. People generally would wash their own feet when they came in from the dusty roads. A good host would provide water and towels for his guests to wash their feet. Providing oil as well was a nice touch because it felt good that on feet that had worn sandals all day. 
the only person who would possibly be expected to wash and anoint someone else's feet was the lowest household slave. By washing Jesus' feet, this woman showed that she was devoted enough to act as his slave. Even more, she let down her hair and dried Jesus' feet with it. Now, in those days, women never let down their hair in public. It carried all sorts of sensual overtones in that culture. Well-kept hair was a sign of dignity. Think of all the, the money that women spend on making their hair look good. If you take your beautiful, well-kept, attractive hair and use it as a towel for someone's dirty feet, you're going to damage your hair. This woman was incredibly devoted. She bathed his feet with her tears. She dried them with her hair. She anointed his feet with perfume that she'd brought along. It was the full pedicure package. And she kept kissing his feet as well. Now, in some cultures, bending down to kiss someone's ring or toe was a sign of honor or subservience. But a woman kissing a man's feet in public? Talk about socially taboo in that culture. Back then, a, wooden, a woman wasn't even supposed to touch her husband in public. But this woman didn't care. She was swept up in her emotional response to what Jesus had done for her. She showed extraordinary hospitality to Jesus, though she was not the host of the party. She wasn't even an invited guest. The Pharisee was shocked that this woman would that this man that Jesus let this woman do this to him. He knew who she was. She had a reputation and it wasn't good. Simon thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. She's a sinner. Even though he didn't say it out loud, Jesus knew exactly what the Pharisee was thinking. But Jesus didn't bat an eye. He just said, Simon, I want to tell you something. And he told a story. Sometimes seeing Telling a story can help someone see things differently. In the story that was read earlier today, Nathan got through to David by telling a story about a poor man and a rich man. You know, that the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, and the rich man had all these flocks and herds, but when he had a guest come for dinner, he took the poor man's lamb and gave that to his, served that up for his guest. And Nathan, and David was just furious at the end of the story. He said, that man deserves to die. He should restore the lamb four times over. And Nathan just looked at David and said, you are the man. You're the man in that story. Because you took Bathsheba to be your own when she was married. You had her husband killed 
and tried to cover it up. But God knows what you have done. You're the rich guy in the story, David. You just condemned yourself. Jesus took a different tack with this story that he told to Simon. He said, two guys owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 days' wages. The other guy owed 50 days' wages. Neither of them could pay, so the money lender graciously canceled both of their debts. Which of them will love him more, Jesus said. Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You're right, Jesus said. Imagine a young family. The mom and the dad have both lost their jobs. Their debts are piling up. More and more past due notices are coming in the mail. They're having arguments in the grocery store about what kind of toilet paper to buy. They don't know how they're going to make it to next month. They've always sheltered their kids from having to worry about anything, but the kids have figured out what's going on. They've overheard the worried conversations and arguments. The mom and dad are fretting over another shut-off notice when suddenly a neighbor knocks at the door and walks in. (laughs) You know the kind of neighbor I'm talking about. And the neighbor says, Listen, I know what's going on. I want to help you. How much do you guys spend on groceries? And he pulls out a wad of $100 bills and puts it on their table. He says, that should take care of your groceries for the next six months. Do you have a pen and paper? What do you owe on your electric bill? Write it down. How about your gas, your water, your cable? What do you owe on your credit cards? What do you owe on your car and the van? Do you still have school loans? Write it down. How much? And what do you owe on your house? No, no, not, not just what you owe each month, not just how far behind you are on payments, but how much do you owe on your house? Add it all up. Give me the number. Okay. Here's a check. Will that cover it? I'll add another zero just to make sure. Here, take it. It's yours. Can you imagine what that mom and dad would feel like? All that debt lifted, gone. They've been given a new start. Imagine the shock, the relief, the gratitude, and the love that they feel. That's what the woman at Jesus' feet was showing with her tears. Great gratitude and love. She had been forgiven a great debt, so she loved greatly. When I was a kid, I thought that sin was all the bad things that I did. You know, when I would yell at my brother or when... I would not obey my parents or when I would be mean to someone at school. Those kinds of things. But over time, I found that, you know, 
And, and, so, and so, you know, back then for me, forgiveness was not getting punished for like I deserved for those bad things, given, being given a pass. And since the, the bad things that I did weren't all that bad or all that often, I didn't think I needed much forgiving. You know, I certainly wasn't like the bad people I'd see on the news. But since then, I've come to realize that my sinfulness is much deeper than my bad deeds. It includes my inner attitudes, desires, motivations, stuff deep down inside. I need forgiveness and grace that reaches down into those depths. Like David, over and over again, I need to be confronted with the truth. The truth about me and the truth about God's amazing, deep love in Jesus Christ. Simon the Pharisee had called Jesus teacher. After telling the story about the two forgiven debtors, Jesus told him to look at this woman. She could also be Simon's teacher. She could teach him about being forgiven. She could teach him about receiving grace. She could teach him about love and hospitality. But Simon would need to see her differently, not as just a sinner, but as a person, a woman, a beautiful child loved by God. Do you see this woman, Jesus said? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Therefore, she has shown much love. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The people around the dinner table wondered and whispered about his words. Who is this that even forgives sins? There's only one who can forgive sins. Your faith has saved you, Jesus said to the woman. Go in peace. Where did the woman go? What did her new life look like? She'd been changed. Mark Allen Powell, in his book, Chasing the Eastern Star, recalls a seminar he had attended in college. There was a large African-American man who had two big signs up front. One read, Jesus Christ accepts you the way you are. And the other one read, Jesus Christ will change your life. Both of these are biblical, and both are good news, the speaker affirmed. So why is it that you Lutherans equate the gospel with one sign and not the other? You say, Jesus will change my life? Well, that's nice, but the really good news is that he accepts me the way that I am. 
you get so excited that Jesus will accept you as you are that after a while, some of us are beginning to wonder if this isn't because you plan on staying the way that you are, whether Jesus will change you or not. Now, where I come from, in the inner city, I know some folks who, if you tell them Jesus accepts you the way you are, they'll say, well, that's nice of him, but the fact is I really don't like being the way I am. My life isn't so good. It's nice that Jesus loves me even though I'm poor and hungry and my life is a mess, but you know what some really good news would be? Really good news would be if He'd changed my life so I didn't have to be this way. When the good news gets a hold of you, your priorities change. You show your love and gratitude to God in ways that people don't understand. You live a questionable life where the only answer to the questions people ask about you is Jesus. You follow Him. You participate in His work of setting the world free. You lose yourself in showing love for the One who has changed your life. May we all be captured and changed and sent by the love of Jesus. Amen.